As you know, we're um, connected with Kingdom Legacy, which is a group of churches across the UK that is growing, developing, um, uh, and John has been a part of that, uh, and also got links here in Essex, which he'll explain himself anyway. Yeah. All right, bless you, bro. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thank you. That was such a powerful worship time. I'm sorry if I embarrassed you, by the way. I just thought your, your beautiful singing voice and what you released was so powerful and so lovely. So I want to thank you for that because that was really special. Thank you. I know it's embarrassing. I, I, I said I'm sorry for embarrassing you, and then I did it again. <laughs> Terrible. I'll try not to embarrass anybody. I think it'd be great if we started uh, this morning. I think Leo mentioned she would love it if we all prophesied over her. <laughs> one by one. Wouldn't you love that, Leo? <laughs> That's an inside joke for anybody who wasn't here yesterday. We, we, uh, we prayed for, you know, we just had a great time. Holy Spirit was just doing so much. It was just so much fun. And I'm not just saying that because I led. Because um, if you were there, you'll know that actually it, Holy Spirit was clearly leading and everyone was involved and I didn't know where it was going to go at the end. And one person, uh, well, no, I, I did, I had a bunch of words for different people. And then I said, oh, oh Lord. And we were all going to prophesy. And thought, I'll, I'll kickstart one. And all of a sudden, I couldn't remember a single word that I had for anybody. And I was like, I just said I had a word. And I can't remember any of them. And then Leo's face popped into mine. And I was like, I have a word for Leo. And then it was like, what was it? And then it just came to mind. But what happened after that was so many other people, one by one, started prophesying over Leo. And then somebody said, oh, this is not just actually for Leo. These words are that Leo is a prototype for the church. And when you started to apply all of those words, you realized, wow, God is doing something special in this church and something special over women. And we prayed for, for women. And, and even the word that, about the glass ceiling being broken, you know, I felt like, wow, there's something. Because even the word women are a prototype for the bride of Christ. And so it's so important that we see women become all that God's created them to be. Because actually, there's something prophetic in there for the bride. And that's what prophetic is, is beautifying the bride by the washing of the word. Isn't that amazing? The prophetic is the beautification of the bride, the bride of Christ, through the washing of the water of the word. And that's what the anointing is on this church for the water of the word to just be a river that's just flowing. You know, they were singing, some, uh, this, this chap was singing a song and it sounded an awful lot like, I got a river of life flowing out of me, you know? Oh, sorry. I'm the, am I the only one that knows that song? Oh, my word. It's a beautiful song. I got a river of life flowing out. Do you know it? Hallelujah. I can get an amen over here. Thank you. All right. <coughs> well, um, <coughs> I got a lot of stuff I want to get through uh, in a short space of time. And then I want to do some prophetic ministry, and um, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm not planning on doing all the prophetic ministry, because what I believe God is doing, you know, 
I'm just one guy, but God's releasing something that is a snowball effect. And so that's going to be participational at the end. <clears throat> we may even have the children involved. It's going to be great, but we need to lay a foundation. Before we do that, I promised Pete I would tell a little bit of my testimony. Um, so I'm American. I have six children. The oldest is 18. <coughs> Sorry if I'm coughing a little bit. I've had uh, some sort of, it's not a sickness, but I have some, something about the air, the dry air. And um, I feel completely healthy, but I, I am sort of coffee. Um, no, I have a water. It's fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I have six children. Aria, who's 18. Kira, who's 16. It's all even numbers. This is great. Um, Aria, Kira, Johnny. It goes girl, girl, boy. And then Nia, Karis, life. Right? So 18 right down to eight. And my wife is a Canadian. She is a fiery redhead. Um, she's great. It's my greatest pastime is teasing her. So much fun. And she's not here, so oh well. I have to tease Leo. So, oh. so the reason he wanted me to share my testimony is just because it's a little bit unconventional. I was a <coughs> very successful businessman in a previous life. <coughs> That business was drug smuggling, <clears throat> and um, I was very, <laughs> that was supposed to elicit more of a, <clears throat> yeah, there was supposed to be something more in there, but yeah, it didn't land very well. But yeah, I was a drug smuggler. I was a very, um, uh, I started doing drugs with my dad at age 13, and my dad, he was actually a successful business person in the 80s and got involved in cocaine, and when my my parents' marriage fell apart when I was 13, and he went right off the deep end. His, his, his drug habit went from alcohol and cocaine to alcohol and crack, and crack is devastating. It is just a very destructive drug on a lifestyle. His life went downhill very fast, lost everything he had, and he and I remained quite close um, until he died. He had a, a dramatic life conversion um, after I got saved, but... But we did drugs together, and I would buy drugs from his friend at age 13. I was the best-connected 13-year-old, and I'd sell it to all my pals until I got in trouble with the law, and then I tried to escape jail time by joining the Navy, <coughs> which was fine, except for they gave me a military ID card that I found was just perfect for smuggling drugs into America. <coughs> and uh, so I was quite successful at that. It, at my height, I was selling hundreds of thousands worth of drugs in single goes and, and uh, on my way to potentially becoming a millionaire because of the involvement I had with this one group of very, very rich people. They had private houses and private lakes in the woods and all sorts of stuff. And I fell in with these people and it felt like I, I hit the lottery. And I was trying to get in with them and I was being initiated into this, this group and it got really weird over a three-month initiation period. And they, they had uh, some, through this initiation, there were times when they were able to read my mind and do weird stuff. And I thought, okay, there's a power here. There's a power here that I don't know. What is this? And all I knew was that if I got in, I was going to be very rich. And it was quite tumultuous. And at the end of this three months, these four people brought me into a room, and there was this sort of initiation 
and there were drugs involved, and a demon materialized, as real as you and me sitting here, and the thing spoke to me and told me it was my turn to inherit what was mine, and, um, and I just, uh, I, I just thought, oh. as a child, I received Christ as my Savior, and I considered myself a Christian, even while I was doing all this stuff. I just thought, God's far away. One day I'll see him, um, but he's far away. He's not interested in what I'm doing. Why would he be interested in me? But in that moment, I knew, oh, there is a God. And as sure as this devil is watching, he's watching what's happening right now. It's the first time I ever felt his eyes upon me. And I was scared. I was terrified. And I was terrified of this being in front of me. And I thought, I'm not going to leave this room. They're going to kill me. But as terrified as I was of that, I was more terrified of God. And I thought, there's no way I can say yes to this. So I thought I was, was going to die that night. But I said, um, went through. They kept threatening me. And at the end of the night, I said, um, can I go? Am I okay to go? And there were angels in the room that night. And they did let me go. And I ended up leaving. And I flushed all my drugs down the toilet. And I canceled all my debts. And I cried out and said, God, if you'll help me, you can have all of me. You can, I'll do whatever you want. And it was like he reached down and he took my hand. And one day at a time, he led me out of freedom. One day at a time, he just led me from place to place, person to person. And I carried lots of brokenness. And I still carry tons of brokenness today. You know, tons of brokenness from childhood trauma and all the rest of it. But even in my brokenness, he holds me tight. And he walks with me day in, day out. And I'm, I continue to heal, and I continue to grow strong. And my life is a testimony that no one is beyond redemption. Amen. If you would have seen me back then, you would have seen some angry-looking guy who was pre, pre, all concerned about money, and I wore a hard expression on my face, so nobody would rob me or take advantage of me. And, and um, God has found me in that place of hardness and, and redeemed my life in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. <clears throat> I want to read a little bit of Acts chapter 2. Actually, would somebody else mind reading that? Who would be brave and like to read some Acts chapter 2? Who has good eyesight that they can read it out of this? This is Alan's Bible. It's been resting for a while. And he's got the message version in here. I wanted the NIV, but then I read it this morning in the in the message, and it sounds great. Who would like to read a bit of this up here for me from this Bible here? Somebody will. Joe, you will. Come on. Oh, who said that? Come on, Joe. You can read it. Just read right through to chapter 13, straight from here. Yeah, and then you got to go to this side. Yeah. Where is chapter? Where is verse 13? I don't know. Well, the numbers the aren't even in there, are numbers. they? Just read till it says they were drunk. Okay. <laughs> there we go, right there. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, when the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound of a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they start and they started began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are these men uh, who are speaking not Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. You didn't tell me there were long words in here. <laughs> Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the, cloud, the crowds. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That was cool, eh? Thank you so much, Joe. Well done. I knew there were big words in there. Why do you think I got you to do it? Oh, that was a cool story. And um, I just love that the wind of the Spirit is moving in this place exactly like he was then. And that he's stirring things up. And there are things that we don't understand. And that's okay. You know, there's, there's, there's prophecies stretching back, and, and the Lord's doing stuff. And though we don't fully understand it, it is okay. It's happening. And we just have to know there's a move of the Spirit, and we have to partner with it as best we can. And the instruction that Peter gives us, they said, what do we do? And Peter's thing was repent and be baptized. And I want to frame what I'm saying right now, our response to the Holy Spirit, how we can partner with it in this idea, repent and be baptized. And these are not, as I believe, one-time things. I, they happen, repentance is something that happens maybe for the first time. Some of you repented, you know, all the time. But the word repentance actually means uh, it's metanoesate. So many syllables in this. Metanoesate. Yeah, that's how it's said. Metanoesate. And it means the idea of, it's, it's from two root words. One meaning change. Meta meaning change or after. And Noeo, which means to think or to understand. So it is to change the way we think. Does anybody in here already think perfectly? No. Which means we are all still going to need to partner with the process of changing the way we think. And we have to do that all the time. So typically we think repentance is confession. I'm going to confess some sin. But it's actually so much more than that. It can be to highlight that there is a sin in our mind, but it's actually to change the way that we think. And that can be to change the way that we think about ourselves, to change the way we think about God, and to change the way we think about other people. 
All of that is the idea of repentance. And baptism is something that is very unique because we're baptized one time. Some of us are baptized more than once, but you're only really getting baptized once is, um, you know, sufficient. But the only real baptism that matters was Christ's baptism. And his baptism is what we are baptized into. So somehow, and Christ's real baptism was actually his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. That was the ultimate baptism for him. He was baptized into death. His baptism in water was a symbol of his his being baptized into death, burial, and resurrection. And it's the same thing for us. He did that as a symbol because he was the first man. He was the... Uh, the last man, as it says in Scripture. Adam was the first, and in, as in Adam, all men sinned. As in Christ, all men were saved. So when he was um, baptized, he did this as a prototype for all mankind. And as we are baptized, it's identifying with that work that he has already did. I know these are deep thoughts for a Sunday morning, but you understand what I'm saying? So when we are baptized, we're identifying with a work that was done not only 2,000 years ago, but a work that was conceived and in the heart of God before the foundation of the world. It sits as an idea of God in the heart of eternity. It is outside of the scope of time and space. We're partnering with a work that was done for God, for us, before the, found, before the creation of the world. And so that baptism is not just for that moment. It is for every single day of our life. And as baptism also symbolizes the going under the water and being cleansed from your sins and being raised in the newness of life in a perfect righteousness, that is a concept that we need every single day. And I believe that looking at these two ideas of Metanoia, repentance, uh, changing the way that we think, and baptism, being cleansed from our sin, identifying with the work of Christ on our behalf, being, being, ra- being buried. All the old man, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our, all of our um, self-hatred and self-loathing and anger and pain and sin of every nature, all those things have been, de- have been killed and died and buried. And now we are raised in the newness of life in Christ Jesus. And this is our continual response to the body of, or to the, to the wind of the Spirit, to the rushing roar of the Spirit. And we need to know that, folks, because can you hear the roar? Amen. Now, let's di- dig into these a little bit. This idea, I want to tackle them one-on-one or one-by-one to some degree. The first thing is this metanoia, this repentance. We already defined it, changing our mind. Now, because of my testimony, I was so aware of the presence of the devil. And I did not like it. I mean, because over this three-month initiation period, I would often get messages that I thought were coming from this group from all kinds of sources. Like, I would turn on the radio and the, the DJ would say something, and I would think he's speaking directly to me. 
right? I would say, somehow this group is speaking to me through this DJ. Or I'd go to a convenience store and I'd buy a pack of cigarettes or something. And the guy would say something, and they had this code way of speaking. And so I was convinced that they were speaking to me through this person. And there were all these things that they wanted me to do. It was a very stressful time. Now, the way that I believe that they did that is that there was a little demon that was whispering to me, that was following me around, whispering to me. So someone would say something to me, and they would just be speaking their normal language. And maybe there was a demon involved with them. But the, the demon would highlight certain words to me so that I would get a message other than what he was saying. Does that make sense? If you, if you took a book and you highlighted certain words, and then you were to read only those highlighted words, you can make that say whatever you want. Well, these are like demon tricks that they can speak to us through other people. And, and frankly, I think the demons get involved in lots of misunderstandings and has a great capacity to twist our words around. Well, I, once I realized that the devil was real, these demon tricks were exposed and I, and I just got sick at the idea of how many times I'd been listening to these, these horrible creatures that hate humanity. And I was like, I don't want that. And I read this verse that says in James, it says, submit, James 4, 1 uh, in verse 7 and 8, or maybe it's just verse 8. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I wanted that so bad. Because I want the devil to flee from me. Anybody want that? I don't, when I walk in a room, I don't want him to think, oh, there's easy pickings. I want him to think, let's get out of here. Anybody want that? Yeah. Amen. And here was, a, here was a, a, a key to that. Here's how I could get the devil to flee from me. And I was like, I want that. What's the key? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Great. Can't resist the devil before you submit to God. You need the power of God. We have to submit to God, and only then can we resist the devil. And at first, what I thought that meant is when I'm tempted to sin, I got to say no. And there is truth in that. There is so much validity in that. I love the power of choice. I love the power of free will. I love the power of grace even more. That even when I use my free will wrongly, God's grace is still sufficient for me. And I love that even when I use my will wrongly and I'm in sin, that the grace of God says, I'm with you even in that moment. You know, there are some people who says, oh, you know, if, if you've got a problem with alcoholism or pornography, God hates you and he's not with you in that moment. You know what? He is. Christ came not for the, for the righteous, but for sinners. The physician doesn't come for the healed. He comes for the sick. And God's with you right there in that moment. It's the only way you're going to be able to get out of that situation is to know that right there, in the middle of my sin, in the middle of my darkness, he is right here. That's grace, folks. And if you're in some sort of sin and you're stuck in what sin, no matter what it is, and you have this fresh revelation, may the spirit of revelation show you how close he is to you in that moment. Because you know what you'll do? You'll say, I don't want to be doing this. There are angels watching me right now. And Holy Spirit is right here and he is holy. And he calls me to be holy. If you think he's far away, you think he doesn't see what you're doing, you're going to take that as permission. And the devil wants you to think that, but it's not true. He's right there. And do you think he doesn't like you in that moment? He loves you. Even in the midst of your sin, he's passionate for you. He dedicated his passion for you in the midst of your sin in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. 
If having been saved while you were still in a wretched state, how much more now? Having been saved and reconciled to him, will you not be saved through his life? Because he is alive and with you right in the middle of your darkest sin. Wow. Wow. But I realized that resisting the devil and submitting to God does not just mean turning from your sin and turning from temptation, but submitting to God is actually agreeing with who God says you are. Because the devil has a narrative for who you are. And submit to God, resist the devil, does not just mean do not sin and let my actions reflect a holy God. It does mean that. But on a foundational level, it means when God says, I have removed your sin from you, you are now no longer a saint but a sinner. You are righteous. You are the righteousness of God that I will submit to your assessment. But my actions tell me I'm not righteous. But my actions and my thoughts tell me Actually, and, and maybe other people tell me as well that I'm not that great. But, but I have plenty of accusing thoughts. I have plenty of accusing thoughts that tell me things about myself. And I'm quite good at telling myself those narratives. I, you know, I've become accustomed to that narrative of speaking myself down. Whose narrative is that? Does that sound like the God of life? You know, the voice of God always carries, it's infused with hope. And in his presence, there is a fullness of joy. Even when it's a harsh word, it is infused with hope and joy. So if there's a word in you that does not, does not sound like those two, and love. If there's a word in you that does not sound like love, hope, and joy, it is probably coming from the accuser. If it does not produce those results, those, those fruits in you, it is coming from the accuser. And if we want the devil to flee... We have got to submit to God's narrative over our life and resist the accuser's narrative. We have to be sick and tired of, of thinking that it's holy to agree with self-condemning words and belittling words when the Lord's called you to radiate with glory. If we want the devil to flee, we have got to be willing to submit to God's assessment of who we are. Who we are. And who does he say we are? He says we're the body of Christ, that even in our weakness, we are strong. He says that we are saints. He says that we are loved. He says that we are chosen. He says that we are world changers. He says you're salt and you're light, and I have not made this bushel to be hidden under a basket. I have not made you to be hidden away. I know you don't feel powerful, but guess what? In your weakness, I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. Whoo. You feel him flee? You feel the devil flee? He's like, darn it. Oh, let's get out of here. We'll come back. No, you won't. <laughs> no, you won't. You won't find any place to rest here. And in fact, you better keep going because we're an army and we're coming after you. You're getting displaced. Sorry. Not a lot, are we? <laughs> we got angels on our side. Come on. Whew. 
All right. Anybody pumped up? Just for some context, that passage in James, submit to God, resist the devil. It's all about quarrels and infighting. You go back and you read that just before that. It's all about bickering within the church. Because it's not just changing our mind what we think of ourselves. That's hard enough as it is. It's actually changing our mind how we see one another. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I was having a hard time and it was believing good stuff about myself. But what about that guy? He really ticked me off. Is that an okay expression? American swear words are like not as, they're different, you know. So I was taking a risk there. That guy really made me cross. (laughs) That guy hurt me. I'm having a hard enough time believing for myself. I don't need to get involved in that situation. I don't want to have to go there. I'm believing for myself. Only problem is there's only one channel in our heart. And actually, it's very, very hard to believe for ourselves and not to believe for someone else. Because when we don't believe in the work of Christ and the power of the cross over them, guess what? You're diminishing your faith for yourself. You only have one faith muscle, and it's the heart. So if you think you can believe in the righteousness of God as a free gift for yourself and somehow hold someone else to a different standard and not believe in the work of Christ over their heart, guess how much faith you're going to have for yourself? The same degree of faith that you have for them. And if you don't believe me, you can read verses like, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against them, so your Father in heaven may forgive your forgiveness, your forgive your trespasses. Because when you release grace, it releases grace for you. It's the same vessel. Or you could read, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How are they related? Because it's the same faith muscle. If you're having problems receiving the grace and believing the grace for you, Forgive someone else. Guess what it does? It increases your faith in, in, the, in the great work of Christ on your behalf. Friends, all this is related to, to being a prophetic culture. Because the first thing we got to do is we prophesy according to our faith. And we have to change the way we're thinking if we want to be a culture. You know, it's great to have a prophetic ministry. It's great to have a ministry where you're recognized and you call and you stand up front and you do this and and you have a, a box for that. But guess what? A prophetic culture has no box. A prophetic culture is when the word of God is not boxed in and he's called you, not, not everybody to have a prophetic ministry. That's a, that's a synthetic thing. He's called you to be a prophetic people. He's called you to live prophetic lives that the word of God would run like a river into every part of the city. Washing the city and cleansing the city. Matthew, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you and your trespasses. Luke six thirty seven. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see the connection. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Why is why is judgment without mercy to one who has shown no mercy? Because where is your faith to, to step into the reality of what God has done for you? If you close your heart up to one another. And the, and the Lord's grace is so sufficient for everybody, for the whole world. But that doesn't mean everybody gets to dance in the waterfall. You have to, you have to be willing to lift up your eyes and say, yes, Lord. But it's splashing over everybody. But we have to lift up our eyes and, and by faith just say, yeah, I'm willing to play in it. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Does it sound like fun? The next thing is baptism. So yeah, in, in repentance, we change our minds to who God is, that he is loving, that he's not angry with us. We change our mind to who we are, and we change our mind to who other people are. And it is a journey. Baptism, we already said, we're immersed into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. His death is our death. His sacrifice is our sacrifice, and his burial is our burial. Amen? Now, I want to tell you, friends, I went through a very difficult time, and I'm, I'm telling you this because I believe some of you are going through a very difficult time, and, and I felt this morning that God wanted to do a work and to banish hopelessness from the room. If something is not, as Steve Backlund said, if something is not glistening with hope, it is not from God. And I believe that God, God wants to touch you where you feel hopeless today and to release a hopelessness. And I, I was going through a time, I tried to plan a church, and, and we had six out of eight people on our team decided they didn't want to um, do official church. They were done with any sort of organized religion. So when it came time to get a name, and what I felt God was saying was to register as a charity, and I, I wanted everybody to join along, and they said, we just don't want to do official church. We're done with official church. We've been wounded by, wounded by official church, and we just don't want to do that. And, and um, I... I, it was so hard because I loved these people. But I felt I had to be obedient to what God was saying for me to do. But what it meant is that thing that we were going to plant, it died. And for a long time, I tried to, I tried to keep it going with a few other people. And it just, it just didn't work. And, and I felt such a failure. I had led a church in Orkney very successfully. That church was growing and doing so much times. And I started a network up there. And I'd gone from strength to strength and see God do so many things. And then all of a sudden, I just was going through failure. What felt like failure? And I looked at my life and said, where's the fruit? What have I done? And I felt so bad. And, and in that season, when I was pushing through and saying, God, do I, what do I do? What do I do? Do I keep trying to push this thing through? Have I been disobedient? You told me to, to register as a charity, and I never did that because the group fell apart. And I thought, well, what have we got now? We don't have a team. I never wanted to do this alone. 
I said, what do I do? Anybody ever feel like that where you're in a situation where what you've been trying to do isn't working and you just think like, I don't know what to do now. Well, I was in that situation and I, and I, was, and, and I was feeling so low and I read Psalm 51 and Psalm 51 is really good for when you're broken. And I was thinking, maybe I need to fast for 40 days. I'll do that. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't know if I actually would, but, you know, other people have done it. And in that moment, I'm like, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, I don't know. I honestly don't know how long I would last. But anyway, like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. And I read that verse, and there was this beautiful line in there. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You know, we are so quick to want to give God a sacrifice. We want to put something on the altar. Because in that moment, I'll tell you what, what the real big question was. The question was, Lord, are you still pleased with me? Because I'm failing. Are you still pleased with me? I'm not pleased. Are you pleased with me? And in my heart, something that I should have known was true, I didn't know. In that moment, I questioned. I really did. I knew it up here, but in my heart, I was like, maybe, maybe this is happening because he's upset with me. And there's probably childhood trauma and stuff associated with that, you know, rejection, all these sort of issues. That is a terrible thing to, to be questioning. And I read this, and he said, you don't delight in sacrifice, David said, or I would give it. You'll not be pleased with the burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. I read that. And I thought, right now, I don't have anything to give you. But a broken and contrite heart. I've got that. And I could see an altar. And I just felt like God say, You're, you've got this broken heart right now. And if you will give that to me, that and I will fall on that with my fire, and that is the only plea, that's the only offering I need. And that will release a fragrance that is so pleasing to me. Friends, I realized in that moment, every one of us has a broken heart. We cover it up, we dress it up, we try to do other things, accomplishments and works that we might think impress God or maybe they impress us or maybe they impress other people because we're desperate to, to answer that question. Am I loved? Am I valuable? And God says, I've already answered that question. When you were baptized into Christ, and just as Christ was raised up and the voice was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, you were baptized into that word. And before the foundation of the world, you have been washed new, every single one of you. And the declaration of the Father is, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. Yeah. He is so pleased with us. And God said, I'm so sick of people trying to add things to the righteousness that I gave you as a free gift. I'm setting people free from that addiction. It's terrible. And I'm sick of people trying to vie for attention, for my attention, and to try to get the position and to get other people to recognize the glory that's on my life when nobody can take a speck of glory away because I've given it to you in full. 
The glory that God poured out is not a, like a pie chart that we need to divvy it up. But it's eternal, and it's turned on full for every one of us. You know, we, we were talking to Alan on the way here, and even the, the parish system, he was saying how within the parish system, if, if one church wants to minister in another parish, they have to get that position. It's almost like the, the glory that I've been allotted is this boundary, and the glory that you've been allotted is there. And I don't want to come in and actually steal some of your glory. And sometimes as Christians, we can, we can mock them. Not, that, that's not what the parish system is all about. I know that. But sometimes it could be made about that. Just like we in the charismatic church can think that about each other. There's only so much glory on the church. And if that person gets that position and it should be me, they're going to steal my glory. What a horrible what a horrible slander to God's character. We don't have to vie for position. God has given you full glory. There's a never-ending reservoir. He turns his tap on. In the baptisms, we were raised in the newness of life in the full glory of heaven. Jesus said, the same glory with which you glorify me, I now give to them, to you. And it's not, a, it's not just a measure. It's the fullness of his glory. And if we, if we realize that, we get to live in it, we get to play in it, we get to speak in it, we get to work in it, we get to share in it. We get to glorify one another. We get to splash it about with each other. And we don't have to fight for it. We don't have to pull one another down or argue. Nobody can diminish the glory that, that's on your life. And we have to get good at this. We have to get good shining with his glory, receiving it and splashing it about. This is the heart of the prophetic. The heart of the prophetic is knowing who you are and realizing, hey, the only thing that really pleases God, the only thing he needs is this broken and contrite heart. He doesn't need me to have a ministry. And it's enough. It's enough. And, and you got to know that's the only thing. We want to give him sacrifices and great accomplishments and platforms and all these other things. We want to we wanna give him all of our crowns. He's like, I, I don't need any of that. In fact, the truth is you're all broken. And that's enough. I don't need you to be strong. My strength is sufficient for you. I just need you to take that broken heart and say, Lord, I'll put it on the fire. I'll put it on the altar. No, not I'll put it on the fire. I'll put it on the altar. You let your fire fall. Friends, I want to do that today. We're... We're out of time, but I but I wanted to, I wanted to move into a prophetic time, and um, somebody can go tell the kids that uh, that is it. Somebody can go mention to Ruth that we are because um, the kids might join in this next part, and I'm pretty sure that um, Pete's going to close the meeting for anybody who needs to go, and we don't want anyone to feel any pressure, but we do want to have some ministry time. Now, the way that we're going to do this now, public prophetic words is so, is so crucial. And I think I'm going to give a couple. And you have to find a way. I'm going to leave this with Pete to make sure that prophetic words are given in public. And the reason is because when somebody receives a prophetic word, it's not just for that person to understand a different version of themselves. God shines light, revelation light, so that they see a bit of glory on themselves that they didn't know was there. And that person has to rethink the way that they live their life because they've got this word. And it's like, okay, I got to change my mind around that word. And it's really good. It brings hope. It brings building up. It brings encouragement. But the reality is when someone gets a prophetic word, 
other people have to change how they see them as well. We all have to adjust the way we see one another so that not only do we reorder how we see ourselves, but we reorder how we see that guy that ticked me off. Nathan, where's Nathan? He's that guy. Yeah, Nathan, thank you. Nathan was my example. I picked on him all day yesterday. So I figure, why quit when you're ahead? <laughs> they won't be coming out. Okay, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like anybody who was in the session yesterday, I, I would like to just you to consider yourself um, uh, commissioned to prophesy over other people in the room, right? I'm, nobody's going to get forced to do that. But, <clears throat> yeah, don't worry. Nobody's going to get forced. But I want you to just ask God and just say, God, is there something that you want to say? Yesterday it was so beautiful when we just trusted in the Holy Spirit and just said, Holy Spirit, will you speak? And so many people, and, and God did speak. So I just want to ask you to just right now, we're just going to invite Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Would you just come? Would you just come right now? Thank you, Lord. Would you speak? Would you come with revelation light and just release your words? Yeah, just release your words. Yeah, thank you, God. Wow. Okay, now as you're praying and thinking, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, is there somebody you'd highlight? And the most important thing, really, the only step, the only step involved, I'll remind you, is to connect with the love of God for that person. So if God highlights someone, just say, Holy Spirit, let me feel your love for them. And speak out of that, okay? We'll try to get as, as there's not going to be lots of time for, um, so if you get something, try not to think about it too hard. Just think, yes, I'm going to do it, even if you only have one word. It doesn't matter. Please don't be embarrassed. You already have the righteousness of God. It's not going to be diminished. And it's up to each one of us to actually steward that word. So you don't have to worry about if it's right or wrong. You just, you just do your best, and we'll go along with you. Um, could I give you a word? What's your name? Debbie. Debbie. Okay. Um, Debbie, yeah, I thought so. When you were sharing your word, I just saw your tears. And I, was, and I was just like, wow. I just felt there was a sensitivity um, on your life. And, and the way that you love is so powerful. And I saw you like channeling um, through a desert. I saw you with big dump truck equipment, boring channels for water in the desert, right? And I just felt like you are a person who's able to open up doors, you partner with Christ to open up doors that nobody can shut and to create um, rivers of living water in places that just do not seem possible for water to go and that the Lord is just going to allow um, life to spring up on the banks of those, of those shores, you know, fruitful, fruitful things. I just feel like he wants to just increase your faith to be able to go into these areas and to know, hey, because you'll go into these, these areas and think, I'm in a desert. I don't like being in a desert. I don't, like, I don't like the situation and the dryness of the situation. But I just feel like the Lord says, do not worry. I've called you into these places, and life is going to spring up. And he wants to increase your faith for life to increase faster than you know. And this is a, this is a word. I just feel like 
Um, it's not just a word for you, but this is a word for this church that God wants you to believe despite what you see. In your children, in your neighbors, in your workplaces, he does not want you to be reliant on the fruit that you see. He wants you to be reliant on his goodness. Amen? Amen. Does that, does that resonate with you? Do you have deserts in your life right now? In your industry, okay. Well, we just declare the Lord's moving in your industry. There's already, a, there's already angels moving in your industry, and uh, they're at your disposal. Yeah, right now, we just, we just bless you with that. Yeah, we just bless you with that. Yeah, I just, the Lord highlighted you to me too, sir. What's your name? Yeah. Ameka? Ameka, yeah, Father. What is it you want to say to Ameka? Yeah, I just see you wearing um, uh, <laughs> American football um, shoulder pads. Uh, and I just feel like he's saying that you carry a lot more weight than you know. That actually he's protected you. Um, and you might feel like you've taken a beating or two. And I don't know if people have been uh, harsh with you or, or whether people speak words of you and they just roll off your back. But I just feel like the Lord says, I've, I've protected you. And I've protected you to be courageous, and I've called you to be courageous, and I'm going to give you more, fe uh, more fearlessness, yeah, to just run with boldness. I feel like there are things on your, on your heart to do that you've been afraid of doing, things that you've thought, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should make that move. Does that resonate? Are there things? Yeah. Well, I just feel like, um, and by the way, if I ask anybody a question like that, and it doesn't resonate, I know who I am, so I don't need you to say, um, I'm not saying you're doing this, but I don't need you to say, oh, yeah, that makes sense, if it doesn't make sense, because I know who I am, and I'm okay with getting it wrong, and we all have to be okay with getting it wrong, and sometimes we say things we don't quite understand it, and it might be that it's right, but it just doesn't make sense until later, so please don't feel any pressure to say, oh, yeah, that, I get that. But I do feel like there are situations that either he's put in your life that, that you're a bit unsure about whether you could do that. And, and that he's going to give you, and he says you can do it. Because you can do all things through God who strengthens you. And even if your faith feels small, it's enough. Because he's enough. Amen. So I want to pray, spirit of wisdom and revelation, would you come and reveal how big you are. And how strong you are. And would you drive out fearlessness with a revelation of who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, anybody from yesterday feel like they have a word? Don't think about it. Just raise your hand. Good. We're going to try to move to do these quick because I want as many as possible. Okay. Okay. It was um, also just reminded me what you were saying to Debbie about um, building your faith. It was during the week that God spoke to me and he said about when we're praying for something to bring it into place. Um, if you think about how an athlete um, trains for a race, if they're running, for example, they'll run with weights on to make the training harder than the actual race. So when they come to the race, the race feels easy because they've built up the muscle, the stamina, the strength. And when we're praying to bring something into being, I feel God's saying that we need to um, apply faith seeing more than the solution that we're trying to bring into place. So, for example, if we're praying to bring a healing into place, 
we should be thinking and praising God for the testimonies that will come from that healing and from the fruit from the testimonies that will come from that healing, not just focusing on the healing. Does that make sense? So we're, we're aiming for further and we're, we're pushing our faith harder than what we're actually bringing into place so that the bringing into place feels easy and it just comes into place because it's on the seat of our faith. That's really good. Now, did, is there anybody that comes in, into your mind right now that you felt like that word was specifically for? Which pizza? Pizza Godwood. Okay. Okay. So you might need to remind him of that word. Because, um, yeah, right. There was, there, that was a prophetic word, but it was also a word of wisdom in terms of for the church. This is something for the church. Okay. We need to, we need to lay hold of these testimonies and realize the testimony has fruit, multiplying fruit, and, and that is really good. So we'll, we'll continue to do that. But, I, but right now, I want you to especially focus, start with, okay, this is who I think this person is for, so that we can all join our, our hearts of love for this specific person. So, Leah, you had one? Uh, Teresa, oh. Um, oh, I'm feeling a lot of love this morning, <laughs> overwhelmed with it. And I think as I was sitting there, I was overwhelmed with God's love for you. And more, and more, and more. And I saw you with a backpack. And the backpack wasn't light. It wasn't heavy. But in the backpack was so many jewels of so many colours. And each one was different. And I feel like he's giving you that to wear. So that every day you open it up and he knows what you need each day. Oh, he's just, he loves you so much. And I don't think you know a little ounce of how much he loves you. He loves us all, but there's more and there's more you can have. Oh, he loves you so much, Teresa. And he's got so much for you. And I feel like the jewels represent different things that you might need each day. Or just what things that you're praying for are things that you want, where you want to see God's breakthrough in your life. And he's given it to you, but the backpack isn't heavy. It's really like, because his yoke isn't heavy, he's, he's carrying it with you, okay? But he loves you so much. Wow. Wow, that was fantastic. I would like a couple people to just gather around these guys and pray for him to release that love. Would that be okay? While we're, while we're continuing, just can we get a couple people to just minister that love? Because God started something in that word. We're just going to give that a minute. Lord, would you just release your love? Thank you. I said release your love, but Lord, you have already released your love. Thank you. So we pray for the release of that revelation of your love. Yeah. Thank you, God. Revelation light, come. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. It's sweeping across the room. That wasn't just for her. You are loved. You are chosen. We're just going to let that continue. I also had a word for Alan and Diane. Um, it would be good if you could get a couple people to just gather around him and lay hands on him as well. Alan, I felt like... The Lord said that you are, you and Diane are ruthless against the lies of the enemy. 
you guys are absolutely ruthless of, of the lies of the enemy. And you are taking no prisoners when it comes to lies. You are ferocious and you are warriors. And, and this is one of those words I think it's so important because if you've not seen Alan in this light, and if you have lies, then you'll want to come and have some conversations with him. And Diane, this is, this is about Diane. Diane, I saw a great, I was staying in her house and I said, oh, this is a house that's ordered like the house of Solomon. You know, where the wisdom of the Lord was on Solomon so that when the queen of Sheba sat down at the table and she looked and said, oh, there is a God. How could you order your house like that? And, and I just felt like that is the wisdom that's on Diane. It might look innocuous. It might look like it, it's not that powerful. But the wisdom of God on her life is supremely powerful. And, and, and this is something that everybody's going to want to know about you guys, to draw near to them and to receive. Because people who have had chaotic lives, unstructured lives, who are struggling are going to find refuge in your relationship with Alan. Maybe not even out of his conversations. You don't have to necessarily draw that out in his time. Him just being here is releasing, in, I say him, him and Diane. Diane's not in the room right now, but this is for her. There's a powerful. Them being here is releasing an order in your life. And you can, by faith, say, I'm part of a family. Maybe you've not had, okay, here we go. Maybe you've not had a lot of structure in your family with your father and your mother. They were chaotic. And you think, I've had, a, I've had this legacy. And the Lord says, I'm giving you a new legacy right now. Do you feel that? I'm giving you a new legacy right now. That these people are actually releasing a legacy. and It is powerful. And Alan, I know you gave up position to come here. And I just feel like the Lord says, actually, I've elevated you in your humility. And the Lord says, there is a lot of humility on this couple. There is tons of humility. And, and, and it's, Alan is humble. And Diane would never impose herself on anyone. But she, but she is carrying so much might and so much, so much power. Do not, the Lord says, do not mistake humility for weakness. This happened with Paul. Paul, they thought, oh, he's weak. But do not mistake humility for weakness. Yeah, yeah. Who else has a word? Pearl. So I saw this beef during praise and worship, and I asked the Lord. Um, if I would share it, could he kind of like give me some signs, some of the words that people would say and such like? And I've got several <laughs> because I always feel like, oh, you always got something to say. People don't always want to hear what you have to say. And I always have to fight against that. And I always have to say, Lord, if I should say something, can you, you know, let me know? So, so what I saw it was that <clears throat> so the Lord went into this dark place. And it was a, there is a, is, a, is a child wounded, oozing, um, in that darkness, abused, just every horrible thing you can think of. And the Lord reached in and picked up that child and brought that child 
to himself. And it's just the way he picked up the child like this. And he kept he just saying to the child, I love you. I love you. And I sense the child saying, there's nothing lovely about me. I don't have anything to give. Why do you love me? And it's like the Lord is just saying, I love you because I've always loved you. The other scene was the Lord then, <laughs> the child was grown up. And the child was dressed in what looked like a sari. And you know, like a wedding dress, it was red Indian sari. It was, had all these jewels all over the skirt, the bodice, the headpiece. And the, the Lord held her, held her hand and walked her up the stairs. And this sari, this red sari is like the Lord is saying for everything that I have, I have given to you. And he walked her up the stairs and presented this, I would call it now the bride, to the Lord. So it's like Yeshua presented the bride to Yahweh. And as Yahweh looked at both of them, he said, approved. Approved. So what I sense the Lord is saying is that the mess that you're in, it is not about you making yourself clean. It is about Jesus picking you up. And the fact that you're weak means you do not have the strength within yourself to help yourself. And that's why you need him to pick you up. So allow him to pick you up regardless of the state you're in and take you before the Lord. Because even before you get to your father, he has already said, approved. Everything you have has been given to you by him. And he says, approved. That's fantastic. Now, real quick, does anybody feel like that word relates to you? Does anybody feel like, oh, do you know what? I feel like things are a little bit of a mess and I want to feel approved. Yeah, okay. It, it just If you're sitting around somebody, just put your hand up again. Can somebody put some hands on this person and just put hands on her? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And this chat back here. Can, can, would it, he's going to require somebody to get out of your seat, unfortunately. There we go. Just lay hands on them. Is there anybody else? Let me see your hand quite clearly if you want. Okay, I'm just going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that when you clothe us, you clothe us with the blood of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you have prepared us in a way that nobody else can strip away and Father, right now, we want to pray that for anybody who feels this way, oh, yeah, we, anybody, whether they raise their hand or not, we want to pray for such an outpouring of the revelation of your blood over them, that there would just be such a sense of preparedness, that you wouldn't feel in shame, you would feel, I am prepared, I am ready, I am clothed, I am powerful, I am loved. And we break off shame. We break off shame right now in Jesus' name. 
Thank you, God. Thank you for how you're moving right now. Wow. Thank you, Lord. I just want to give a couple. We're going we're gonna to land this. There's just a couple other words. If you're receiving prayer, you can keep praying. Just keep your hand on that person. It's absolutely fine. You, sir, you are a good dad. Yeah, you. No, this, what's your name, sir? Not that you guys aren't also good dads, just to be clear. S- Steve, you are a good dad, Steve. You are a great dad. Father says, I see the way that you, you parent, and I see your good days, and I see your bad days, and I see things that you wish you could have done better. But you need to know you are a good dad. There are things which you have thought were your fault, and they're not your fault. You are a good dad. And you need to stop worrying about whether that's the truth. You need to stop worrying about whether, um, you know, whether you're going to mess things up. Because the Lord just says, I, I, am, I am going behind you and I'm redeeming everything that didn't go as you thought according to plan. And you haven't seen the end yet. And I want you to just keep your eyes on me because I've hidden you in myself. And you need to know, I think you're a great dad. You are a really good dad. So may you just be blessed with that knowledge, Okay. Yeah, Father God, just put, stretch out your hands to Steve. Father, thank you for the, for, the, for the great dad that Steve is. And thank you, Lord, that there are weights that he's been carrying that are coming off of him. There are things that he's been carrying that are just falling away right now as he just leans into your love. And thank you that you as a good daddy hold him. You hold him. You don't let him go. You say, I've got you, Steve. I've got you. Times when you felt alone, I've got you. I was there. Don't you worry. I got you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And Osano, I gave you this word earlier, but I just want to give it publicly. I just want to say, God has called you to so much more than you know. And Osano, I really believe you are called to, um, to, to minister in his power with, with his words. And I find that people who grow up with pastors as parents often don't see yourself as spiritual. You don't see yourself as spiritual because you've had such an example of spiritual people that you think, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not as powerful as that. I'm not able to do all those things. And the Lord says, I have actually put things in you that are already there and I've spoken to you in ways you just didn't know it was me and I've prepared you for an outpouring of power and it's not based on how you see yourself and so you're going to have to rewire how you see yourself and this this group of people is going to do that with you they're going to rewire um, their own understanding of you and the Lord is going to give you a new picture of who you're called to be amen and that goes for all of you, you know, all of you, especially like you, Theo, growing up as a pastor's kid, it is not easy. My wife was a pastor's kid, and she used to write herself off thinking, I'm not spiritual. I, I, I don't hear God's voice like that. She had a concept of what she thought that meant like. What she didn't realize is God has always been in her, working through her own desires. She, there were things about the church that she wasn't supposed to like. Things that she wasn't supposed to like, that she didn't like, and she thought that disqualified her, and that it's okay. Like, God's not stopped loving you for one minute. 
He's working in you, and you're a powerful kid, Theo. All this whole family is powerful. Amen? All right. Thanks, you guys. She's powerful, too, by the way, AJ. All right. Whoa. Um, can we just honor John? I'd love, um, love us to do that. We are done for this morning. Thank you for your patience. Um, I know we've overrun a little bit, but I'm, um, I'm a little bit sorry, but not massively sorry. Um, and, um, but certainly for our children's workers, I am sorry. So please do um, uh, make sure that you thank them uh, and go and collect your children. If you've, if you've got children to collect, that would be awesome. Um, if this is your first time with us, you've been, I hope you've you've enjoyed this morning um, please connect with one of us um, we'd love to see you again we'd love to exchange details with you and just see how we can um, connect with you and um, uh, hopefully see you again another time but um, bless you have a great week and uh, have we got a thing this week or not no okay so we'll see you uh, next Sunday bless you have a great week God bless <laughs>